Positively Joy. Are you living life but feel like something's missing? You've come to the right place. I'm Yvette Walker, your host for this podcast on finding the true meaning of God's joy. Joy is not a feeling, it's faith. And my guests and I will talk about how to avoid falling down the rabbit hole of chasing physical or emotional joy. In this season, we'll tackle spiritual growth as we discover the true joy of the Lord. Whispering in His Ear, the devotional, explores talking and listening to God's message for us. Now, read God's voice and how to listen, a new companion study guide to the original devotional that provides discussion questions and more insight to the scripture that reveals how God talks to us. Get the series on Amazon. Dave Combs had a song in his head and it flowed out through his fingers on the piano. He eventually named it Rachel's Song, and it has been played to audiences large and small. Today, Dave talks about the song, his faith, and how a little tune that God gave him has inspired thousands around the world. Here's Dave. Dave, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you, Yvette, for inviting me. This is going to be very much fun and interesting and hopefully inspiring to a few people. Well, that's certainly what you are. You are an inspiring songwriter, author, uh, retired entrepreneur, or retired businessman and an entrepreneur. You're, you're doing a little bit of it <laughs> all. And I want to talk about your music and how you got started and what is it about you and your music that you hope inspires others. Um, But I want to talk first about your faith walk. I always like to talk to guests about how they found Christ and how they got to where they are today. So let's talk a little bit about that. Absolutely. I, I love talking about that because I grew up in East Tennessee, up in the mountains of East Tennessee, and I'm, I'm Southern Baptist. I went to the Baptist church since I was born. And my mother and father were both uh, church active in the church. They're both musicians. Um, my great-grandfather, H.K. McConnell, was a Baptist minister up in southwest Virginia. And so uh, it's being around people of faith all my life. It's just it, I, did, I didn't know anything else. And so I grew up with all my pe- the kids I went to school with and played with and all that were we're all in in church Sunday school together and RAs of uh, the boys and then in all the activities of the church. So uh, when I was, uh, I think I was about 13 years old, we were having a revival uh, one fall. I think it was a fall revival. Mm-hmm. And I remember uh, sitting there in the church being, I guess, convicted of I needed to make a decision. And at the end of the service, uh, preacher Green, our pastor, came over to me. I guess he could he could read me, <laughs> read people. Came over to me and sat down next to me, and he says, "Dave, I think I think I know what you're thinking about, and is it is it time for you to make a decision to 
to follow Jesus as your Savior? And I said, yes, sir, I've been thinking about that, and I think now is the time. So we knelt there on the bench after the revival service and prayed, and I gave my life to Jesus, and and that's just been a, a wonderful thing ever since. And I, I'm so, I have such a dear place in my heart for that man and his his love for me and his inspiration for me, and also for his musical inspiration for me. He was a wonderful singer. He conducted our choir. He loved, he was our minister when How Great Thou Out Art first came out. You remember, uh, well, you this is before you were born. <laughs> but I remember when that song came first came out, it just took the, the religious community by fire. You know, our, our choir just could not sing it enough. And so I remember Preacher Green leading our choir and singing How Great Thou Art with a Hammond organ and a piano duets and and music and so that's my my faith walk has really began I guess before I was even born but that was the beginning and then ever since then it was I was been active in the church I eventually was the uh, I learned how to play the piano and so I got to play the piano for the church and then when the minister of music would be gone on vacation or something when I was like senior in high school. They would ask me, well, Dave, would, would you conduct the choir and lead the singing this Sunday? Well, of course, I was nervous as I could be. I'd never done that. But, yeah, I did. And so I, I, I loved conducting the choir and choral music. I love choral music anyway. And then mm. when I went to college, uh, even though I was a math major and a physics minor preparing for a technical kind of a job, you know, working job, I sang in the university choir. And my last two years in college, my church called me to be their part-time minister of music, and they paid me a little bit of money each week to do that to help me through college. But I was my choir director for the last two years of my college, and I did the same thing when I started my job here in Winston-Salem. There was a little church nearby, Bethany Baptist, that were looking for a part-time minister of music, and <clears throat> my wife and I weren't even married at the time. We were engaged, but I went over and, and became their part-time minister of music and did that for about two and a half years. So my my walk in faith and growth with my uh, music and beliefs and everything is, is really just, it's one of those things where you look back over your life and one thing builds on another and on another and you just, you look back and say, wow, that's, it's been quite a journey. So that's, that's, that's who Dave Combs is. Wow. So thank you so much for talking about how great thou art. You know, when Today, when, I mean, we think of that as such a standard, that it's been around forever. We don't even really think about it as a new song coming out. I mean, we just don't think about that. Uh, I think that's such a rich um, memory. And just like, you know, people are dropping, you know, new contemporary Christian songs, you know, all the time now and gospel and things like that. But to consider that when that music first came out, as a man of music, because you've always been a man of music, a boy of music, a man of music, when that first came out, did you know in your in your heart that's gonna that's gonna be the song? It's gonna last. It's gonna touch people forever. I knew what it did to me, and this was back in the Billy Graham Crusade days. Mm-hmm. And I remember going to Billy Graham Crusade and hearing George Beverly Shea sing. Oh, Lord, my God. You know, he had such a booming, booming, wonderful voice. And I got to meet him many years later and when mm-hmm. he came to Winston-Salem to do a little concert, but had lunch with him. 
But that song, I, as soon as, but as soon as I heard it, and as I could see from the reaction of the congregation, they could not sing it enough. It's like the song "Amazing Grace." Mm-hmm. You know, I can, I never tire of hearing "Amazing Grace," whether it's sung by a gospel singer or a quartet or a choir or or whatever, or just me in the shower. I, it's it's a it's a great one of those songs. It's it's there forever, but it mm-hmm. touches it touches you deep in your soul somehow. And uh, so many good old songs do that. Now, you started writing music yourself. And, you know, perhaps you you maybe wanted to, to write a song that would touch people like that. Tell me, how and when did you write your first song? Well, this is really strange because you're going to think, well, you grew up all around all this music. Surely to goodness, you were a songwriter from the time you were a kid. I was 33 and a half years old mm. before I wrote my first song. And I didn't sit down to write a song. My way of relaxing, uh, Yvette, was to come home from work and sit down at my piano and just play something to relax. It's just something about making music, whether it's piano or guitar or whatever you play, that relaxes you, it takes the stress and takes your mind off of everything else. This particular day, it was in January of 1981, I sat down at my piano and I started playing. And I just started in the key of C and started a a song. And it it just, I knew what the next notes of the song were before I even played them, although I had never heard this song before in my life. It was just, it just kind of flowed through me, through my fingers onto the piano, and I, it happened as I played it. And I finished it. It had a chorus, a, a verse and a chorus, and it sounded sounded great on the piano. And I didn't think much about it, except, you know, I love playing it. Well, a couple of days later, my wife, Linda, comes home from her job, and she says, Dave, what is the name of this song that I've had stuck in my head all day long? You know how Yvette, you get an earworm in there and you just you can't you stop humming the song. So she hummed a little bit of it and, I, and said, what's the name of it? I said, it doesn't have a name. And she looks at me puzzled and says, what? You play it on the piano all the time. Well, I guess it's just something I made up. Well, she got all excited and said, well, have you written it down and, you know, what's the name of it or whatever, or what are you going to call it? I said, I don't know, but I've got it up here. I'm not going to forget it. She says, nope, I want you to write that down because you might get run over by a truck and that song would be gone forever. I said, okay, I'll be happy to do that. So I did. And for those watching this, I'm holding in my hand a piece of paper that I wrote the tune on. And I'll describe it to you. It's just the melody in the key of C, just Mm -hmm. the melody line. And the chords that go with it, C, A minor, D minor ninth, D minor seventh, and the G7, and so on. And it just says copyright, David M. Combs, 1981. This was January 1981. And so that is the original piece of paper where I wrote the song down and put it in the piano bench. And we tried to think of a name for it. Couldn't couldn't come up with a good name for it. A couple of years later, 1983, some friends of ours had a little baby girl named Rachel. They asked me and Linda to be her godparents. And it was at little Rachel's christening service that Linda and I are sitting there in this little country church, just us and the family on a Saturday. And 
this and the minister. And at the end of the official christening service, the formal part of it, I punched Linda and I said, hey, what do you think about me playing this little tune now? They had a beautiful grand piano right at the front of the church. And I thought, wow, this is perfect. And she said, that's a great idea. So I went up and asked the family and the minister, okay, if I play a little song, sure. So I walk over and sit down at the piano and I start playing this tune. And I get most of the way through it, and I hear out in the audience, I hear this <clears throat> clearing the throat and a few little <laughs> sniffles here and there. And I noticed that my some tears were coming out of my eyes. And, you know, a little baby's christening service is tender enough as it is. And then you layer on top of it a, a song that kind of just <laughs> pulls the tears out of you. So at the end of the music, when I finished playing, I looked over to little Rachel in the arms of her mother, and I said, from now on, this song will be called Rachel's Song in Her Honor. And so that's how the song got its name. It has it fit. That was, what, 42 years ago? or No, 40, 40 years ago, exactly. It was in 83 to 2023, 40 years ago. And it's still the perfect name for that song, and that's how it got its name. Mm. We are going to hear a little snippet of Rachel's song, right now. Enjoy. to ask you so Rachel would be 40 today mm-hmm. uh, has she ever talked to you about this this does did she when did she hear it you know old enough to be able to talk about it well her her mom <laughs> told told us uh, a year a few years later and when she was old enough to know what was going on that she would they put the music on in the house and little Rachel would look over and smile at her mom and say my song, my song. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is so sweet. Yeah. So she's, um, it's, I, not many young ladies can say they have a song named after them, but I'm sure she's a very proud, proud young woman that, that has a, a very tender song named after her. So that was the first song that you wrote. You said you were 33, I think. Mm-hmm. And, and um, so, and, and it just flowed out of you. I, I, you know, I've heard a lot of interviews with, you know, song singer songwriters, and they talk about you know writing music, and I think that often they write the music and it, you know hope that it will be played on the radio or whatever. Um, but, and I wouldn't say that that's late in life to write a song because you know who, who knows what's late in life you know to write a song. <laughs> but but what were you hoping to do with your music? Now you're already a minister of music, but now you've written this this clearly inspirational 
song. You call it a little a little tune, a little ditty. I'm not going to say that because <laughs> it's 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 a really it's a lovely piece. Um, what were you hoping to do? And then and it wasn't the first song, or it wasn't the only song that you wrote. So when that happened, what did you think was next for you as far as music, or did something surprise you again? Total surprises. I would love to be able to sit here and tell you how smart I was and how much I'd planned ahead to to do this and that and the other, but that would not be true. So much of what happened to me and through that song happened, I think, uh, with divine inspiration. For example, when uh, I was having lunch uh, after, well, let me back up a little bit and tell you, I did go to Nashville and get it recorded. Linda insisted that I do that. I was working in Nashville, Tennessee at the time, five days a week, uh, cutting over some software at a factory. And so Nashville, as you know, is Music City, USA, tons of musicians and studios. So Linda says, while you're in Nashville, why don't you get a recording made of, of Rachel's song that we can have to enjoy? I said, okay, I'll see if I can do that. And so I tell the story in detail in my book. To make a long story short, though, I did find a studio in Nashville and a musician by the name of Gary Prim, a piano player. They call him a session musician. He's a keyboard player. Uh, Gary is quite famous in his own right now in Nashville. And you, you ask any musician of any name in Nashville, do they know Gary Prim? They all love Gary Prim. He's a that kind of piano player. And so he arranged and recorded Rachel's song demo for me. And so I took that demo and I didn't know what was going to do with it exactly, except that when I, when I heard it and the song that you're going that you just heard the snippet of, that is that original demo recording. It hadn't been remastered, remixed, anything. And so that's what blew me away. I had only heard me playing the song simply on the piano myself. Here I go to Nashville and and get Gary Prim to go in the studio. And what you heard there is what it came out with. It blew me away. I I don't know what I was expecting, but it it exceeded my expectations probably a hundredfold. And the same thing happened, not only to impress me, everybody I played that recording for, they gave me a little cassette tape of the recording to carry around with me, and I'd play it for anybody. And everybody that heard that song was blown away with the music. They just loved it. I was having lunch when I got back to North Carolina after my trip to Nashville, and I was having friend, um, lunch with a friend named Bob McCone, and we got to talking over lunch, and I told him about my recording session with Gary Prim on Rachel's song, and he says, man, I, I'd love to hear that. Well, my friend Bob is a radio personality, and he had his own radio program on Saturdays. It was a big band jazz radio show. You know, you've seen those that where they play play a jazz thing and, and they know everything there is about who recorded it, who played the drums and they, all this stuff. Right. Well, that was my friend, Bob. Well, Bob says, Dave, I've got to hear this song. So let's go to my office. I said, okay, Bob. So we went over to his office and he had a boom box there in his, his office. He could play the cassette on. And I can still see him today sitting there in that office, just me and him. And he popped the cassette in the, the cassette and started playing Rachel's song. He closed his eyes, and I could see him nodding his head like this, and then I hear this universal approval sound that we all know and love. It's called, mm, 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 mm. 
<laughs> you know that. Yeah, you know when you've either eaten something that's so delicious you can't ex- describe it, or you hear something that's just so beautiful you can't describe it. Well, that was Bob. But when it finished playing, he had tears in his eyes, and he says, "Dave." you've got to let me play this song on my radio show this Saturday. And I said, okay, Bob. And I, all I have is this reel-to-reel master tape. So I said, take care of it. <laughs> so And he did. He took it to the radio station. They made a perfect copy of it and everything. And that Saturday morning, Bob introduced and played Rachel's song, the first thing on his radio show. And I fortunately, I have a copy of that record, a recording of the radio show. And... Uh, a couple of hours later, first time is the first time I'd ever heard my own music on a radio. That was exciting enough. I bet it was. And then a couple of hours later, my phone rings and it's the station manager. And he says, uh, Dave, he said, when Bob played Rachel's song on the radio this morning, he said something happened that I have never experienced in my over 20 years being in the radio business. He said, our phone bank of 15 phone lines locked up. He said, they, they just wouldn't stop ringing. People calling in saying, what was that song you just played on the radio? Will you play it again? Tell me more about this Combs guy in Winston-Salem. <clears throat> he said, Dave, you've got something special here. You better, you got to do something with this. I said, okay, all right. So there again, it was one of those things where I had no idea what the reaction was going to be to the public in general, because they didn't know me or the song, but it was overwhelmingly positive. You know, the name of your your podcast is Positively Joy. Well, that kind of describes what was happening with my music that day. Mm. And so that was one of those signs that says, all right, good Lord t- talking to me and said, Dave, you got to do something with this little song I gave you. Don't just sit on it now. And so I got busy and I found a way to get my music played on every easy listening station in the entire country. It took a long time. And it ended up being the most requested instrumental song in a number of huge markets like Los Angeles and Atlanta, Baltimore. And even in St. Louis, Missouri, the station there ran a contest. And I got a phone call at my desk one day from the station manager from KEZK FM station in St. Louis that said, is this Dave Combs? Yes, sir. So, well, I need to tell you something that's special that's happened. So we ran a contest with all our listeners and ask them if you could invite any artist to come to St. Louis and perform a concert for you, who would it be? He said, well, and what we're going to do is we take the five top winners of this contest. We're flying them into St. Louis and we're going to do a free concert at Booter Park, which is an outdoor venue that will, you know, it'll hold 30,000 people. And he said, and you are one of the five winners of the contest, Rachel's song. I, wow. said, well, I said, well, who else? Who, who are the other four? I'm excited. He said, well, there's a group called the Letterman. And I remember the Letterman. Letterman. Oh, yes. And the, uh, the association, mm-hmm. Don McLean, who wrote Miss America Pie, and George Benson. And I thought, whoa, <laughs> this, I cannot believe this. So, yes, they flew us out to St. Louis. I got to spend time and put it up in the same hotel with the Letterman, and they put limousines out to the the venue. And I got to play Rachel's song for 26,000 people, many of whom had driven hundreds of miles to come and hear my music. And I got a standing ovation. I stood there and signed autographs for four hours alongside the Letterman. 
I got to know the lettermen so well that we've kept up with each other all the years. And when they're even close by, we try to get together and visit with each other. So that was another thing where I didn't plan that. It was just something that was destined to be. And then over the years, Yvette, I have gotten letters from over 50,000 people. 50,000. I've got boxes in my basement here that are full of these letters, and they're all wonderful, heartfelt descriptions of how my music touched their lives. In fact, that was the impetus for my writing my book, Touched by the Music. I'd gotten so much feedback from people saying, your music's great. Why don't you tell some of these stories of inspiration about the, the journey with your music? People like to read about that. So I decided during the pandemic, didn't have anything else to do, couldn't go anywhere, right? <laughs> <laughs> My wife says, well, we're going to write this book. So we did. It took me about nine months to, to write it, and I had a lot of help. I'm not a published, or, you know, a polished author or a writer by profession, but I found there are a lot of people out there who will help you do that. And I got to know many of those. And one of those that I got to know is my now good friend, Jack Canfield. You know of him from the Chicken Soup for the Soul series of books. Yes. Jack loves Rachel's song. And he and I had just, we clicked. We just hit it, hit it right off. And when I wrote my book, or he encouraged me to write the book, and I said, okay, Jack, if I write it, will you write the foreword to my book? And he says, Dave, <clears throat> you write it first. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll talk about it. Well, I did write it and sent it to him. And you'll notice at the top of my book, it says forward by Jack Canfield. <clears throat> and I'm so pleased uh, that he agreed to do that. He is one of the most inspiring, wonderful people you will ever meet in your whole life. Uh, he's just a, a, a dear soul whose his mission is giving back. And he is the epitome of giving back. Yes. Wow. You know, you have you have written other songs, but clearly, and you you know, you said this yourself. God gave you Rachel's song. You know, my husband once told me because I've written a devotional, and he once told me uh, I was at an event. He says, "You know, you're not here to sell books; you're here to spread the gospel." So, do you think? I mean, you've written other 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 songs, certainly, but why i mean you know it was it was a surprise it flowed out of you but how do you think about rachel's song do you think is it is it is purely there for for inspiration to get people closer to god i mean what do what do you think it's all about well i wish i had time to read you a bunch of those 50,000 letters that i've gotten those are the ones that told me why Rachel's song had been written. I've gotten letters from people that were on the the brink of suicide that brought them back. I've gotten letters from alcoholics, recovering alcoholics, who tell, told me that Rachel's song, the playing of Rachel's song every night on their stereo, calmed them down enough and got them peaceful enough to where they could finally go to sleep. I understand that alcoholism has a, a sleeplessness as one of its side effects where you just absolutely can't get any sleep. You're stressed out and it's terrible. And so people have said that Rachel's song got them through that. I've had babies born to Rachel's song. I've had really touching letters of people who have left this life on to the next, hearing Rachel's song is the last song, sound they heard on this earth. Uh, and Beautiful. it's just on and on and on. And those are those are affirmations to me that I've even had a letter from some several people that said, 
I heard Rachel's song. It says, and I don't know anything about you or your religion or anything, but I believe I can tell by listening to your mu that music that you're a Christian. Now, explain that one. You know, I, I don't <laughs> know how that works. And it's just uh, those kind of um, testimonies from the music to somebody else, even though there's no words. You know, music has a way of reaching deep down in the soul that words and other things just cannot reach. And uh, that's true no matter what language you speak. And so even in, uh, I've had feedback from all over around the world, even in uh, Muslim countries, in, in uh, Saudi Arabia, I had uh, a letter from somebody that uh, had, had heard my music, Rachel's song, played on a radio station in Saudi Arabia. Now, <laughs> you know, they, Christian music is not allowed to play. Mm-hmm of those radio stations that was in that country. If, if the station manager knew that, he'd probably had his head chopped off. But this taxi driver had, had heard Rachel's song on the radio, and it was just an amazing feedback from people. So it's, it's, the music goes around the world, and now thanks to the Internet and the instant access that we have to everything uh, visual and aud audible, uh, Rachel's song can be played. You know, they can watch this podcast or halfway around the world. It doesn't matter. And uh, hopefully the word can be spread and God's message can be spread out on the, you know, cast your bread upon the waters here. You know, you, you, you don't know where it's going to go. Absolutely. You mentioned when you first, when you showed us the paper, the original, when you, when you jotted down the notes and you said, you know, this is the verse and the, yeah. you know, and all of that, yeah. you, you use those words, but it is instrumental. Have you ever thought about putting words to Rachel's song? I have, but I never came up with any. However, I have received probably, I don't know, dozens of letters from people who wrote their own words and lyrics to the, the music. They, they were so inspired that they wrote their own. And they've even, I, I said, well, they wanted my permission to perform it at church or whatever. Sure, just, you know, whatever. But I never recorded it with words because I have other sets of letters from people who wrote me and said, please don't ever record Rachel's song with lyrics because when I hear Rachel's song, I want to put my own thoughts and feelings and words into the song and not be tied down by what somebody else's words were saying. And so I've honored that request, and I understand that because I feel the same way when I, you know, if you're listening to a familiar song on the radio, you're probably singing along with it, and the words are running around in your mind. But if you hear an instrumental song that doesn't have any words, words are not running around in your mind of somebody else's. You're having your own emotions and feelings and expressions that you feel through the music. And so I think that's why instrumental music means so much to me. All of my music, the 15 albums I've produced, are all instrumental. Now, I do have favorite hymns albums that I, I, I couldn't record without doing some of my favorite hymns. But I have seven albums of nothing but original music that I've written, and there's over 120 songs that I've written and recorded. Mm. And your collaborator, Mr. Prim... <laughs> Um, what, what does he have to say about all this when you tell him, Hey, I got a letter today or look, this happened because, because he's playing, you wrote, but he's playing the keys. Mm -hmm. 
Well, this young man, Gary Prim, and he was a very young man when I first recorded Rachel's song in 1986. He was, he had just hadn't been married that long. And, uh, but he and I have just, we're, we're like brothers now. We, we've gone back to the studio and recorded over 170 songs over the years. We'd, my wife and I would go to Nashville at least one week every year for about 15 years and record a new album. And during that week, we would spend almost not 24 hours a day, but every waking hour was in the studio with Gary making music and, and really trying to make this the best thing that we could. And I can tell you that I always when shared these notes and whatever with Gary. When I would get a special email from somebody, boom, I just copy Gary to it. And he was as inspired by those kind of notes as I was. Because Gary is, Gary and Julie, his wife, and he has two wonderful kids. They are a strong Christian family. He used to play a piano for one of the huge churches there in Nashville. But uh, he is highly thought of by all kinds of music. If you know the musician Alan Jackson, who's mm-hmm. a wonderful musician, his albums are two of his albums are my favorites. One is Precious Memories One and Precious Memories Two. Gary Prim is the keyboard player on on Alan Jackson's albums. And when you listen to my music, and then you listen to Alan Jackson's Precious Memories CDs, you'll hear you'll hear Gary Prim in the background. And and I, uh, Gary is just he loves that kind of music. He he grew up playing gospel music, played for a gospel group and uh, the Hensons. And uh, it's just, uh, that's in his blood as well. He's just a wonderful young man. So if, you know, I, and I didn't tell you I was going to ask you this question, but so many, you've, so many wonderful things have happened since you wrote Rachel's song. Um, if you could have something special happen because of the song, that hasn't already happened. If you if you could pick anything in the world that you wished could happen because of Rachel's song, what would that be? Well, besides finding a way to get it played in front of and have the audience of literally millions of people. Now, whether that's a playing it on a guest show of a, a, a national TV show or perhaps having it played as a uh, theme song to a very special movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not, not very likely because most movies are this, the, the theme music is written by the, and somebody that's associated with the movie, but to have something like that to where it would get out on a platform and be broadcast and heard by literally millions of people that have never heard it before. Now, these kind of podcasts and this, those are wonderful. YouTube is wonderful. I've, you know, I've got a YouTube channel and thousands and thousands of streams and plays there. But that's not the millions and billions. You know, there are billions of people on this planet. And uh, so if I could find some way to have that music played in the right, uh, right frame of mind or in the right uh, setting, to touch people all over the whole world, that would just be wonderful. I, I, that would just make my whole life seem worthwhile. Dave Combs, thank you so much for spending time with us today, telling us about Rachel's song and your music. Well, Yvette, it's been my pleasure, and I hope folks will look me up on my website at Combs Music and do what you did and 
play Rachel's song and then check my book out on Amazon and my CD, if you have, still have a CD player, and uh, check out some, uh, not just Rachel's song, some of my other songs that I've written and and, I'm, and get in touch with me. I have an email address that's on my uh, website, davidcombsmusic.com. Send me an email. I read them all and answer them all. So, But uh, let's spread the good word and spread the good music. Thank you for listening to Positively Joy. Go to PositivelyJoy.com to hear previous episodes and to learn more about our ministry and books. Support Positively Joy by becoming a Patreon member and sign up for our newsletter. Thanks to Mars Coleman for the use of his song, The Joy of Knowing. And thanks to Susan Marie for editing and production of the podcast. Till next week. Oh, the joy of knowing, the joy of knowing.